Hello and welcome to Rednets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. I am Rick, and once again, I'm being joined by Steve and Farrell. And, you know, like Pepe Reina emerging from a beautiful, glorious penguin costume, we are here once again emerging with transfer news and speculation for you to enjoy. So we'll start off with one of the most bizarre uh, scenarios I think we've found ourselves in in a, in a while. Uh, Ozan Quebec, uh, you know, the centre-back who used to play for Liverpool. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, he has been uh, offered to us on, uh, on a permanent deal from Schalke for £8.5 million, according to The Athletic. Uh, Schalke are, are struggling financially. So that's obviously one, one of the reasons why they want to get any high-profile assets off the books just to sort of level the debt. But the weird thing is Liverpool have declined the offer, which for £8.5 million is... I mean, it's bizarre that we'd, we'd say no to something that low in price. Uh, Farrell, we'll start with you. What do you, what do you make of this? Like, it's, a bit, it's a bit odd, right? I think it's definitely, from my perspective, quite odd. I think when I first... I don't know if I'm just being greedy on the matter, but my, my, the first sort of three things that ran through my head were either, you know, Cop didn't see enough there to justify keeping him or, you know, simply the case that we have enough centre-backs or even more worrying, our finances are so tight to the point where we can't, we literally can't afford even £8 million on a player without further outgoings. Um, obviously, since then, uh, I believe the Athletic has... Uh, produced a piece um, explaining that it is due to Klopp's perception that we are well stocked enough in that department to carry on for the next season. Obviously, in light of the prior season, I'm a, a bit concerned about that even beyond the signing of Konate, um, especially, I think, for £8 million. I'm not sure you could possibly get a better alternative backup centre-back. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise a good point about maybe Klopp just didn't see enough in him. But at the same time, we were forced into to playing him quite a lot um, during the sort of back half of the season until he unfortunately got injured like pretty much everyone else in that position. Um, but, uh, but Steve, uh, I mean, like, do you think that's the case? Do you think Klopp hasn't seen enough in him to, to warrant it? Or do you think it's purely a financial issue that we've just gone, nah, that's it, sorry. You've had, your, you've had your time. Thanks, but no thanks. I, th- I think I think Konate plays a big role, to be honest. I think as soon as Konate was signed, it was it was over for Kabak at Liverpool. And I quite like Kabak, to be honest. I thought he was impressive, especially with his age, adapting to a new country during the pandemic. I thought he'd done a really good job. Came in with a lot of stress. Like, like the likes of uh, the Phillips and, uh, and Williams when they came in, they were quite impressive. Obviously, Kabak's not far away from them in terms of age. Um I don't know whether football manager has changed my perception on these kinds of things, but I feel like obviously Liverpool. I'm sort of talking from like a business point of view now instead of like talking like a fan. Um, surely signing a player of his quality for eight point five million pounds just makes sense. Um, hmm. Even if you've got no intention of playing him, look at Ben Davies. We spent money on him and he's not been played. We could bring in Kabach, play him a few times in the cup, or maybe even immediately loan him out to somebody and sell him next year for two, maybe three times. That eight point five million that Schalke are um, wanting to get for him this summer. Yeah, it's it's certainly there's there's the element of, I mean, we've got Michael Edwards who just seems to be a transfer guru um, and just you know can make miracles happen. Um, so having having someone that cheap that you could potentially flip. I mean, you know, we don't know in what state uh, Van Dyke 
Gomez or or uh, Matip are going to come back in next season. You know, who who knows? Matip might have lost all pace, um, and and it it's like, do you do you stick with what you know, even though we only saw a small glimpse of what you could do in a red shirt, or do you like you know? obviously do what the club are doing and saying no no thanks because the the issue is we could end up in a situation where uh you know the players don't come back as we expected them to be or that you know that we have another injury crisis again and having i mean we, i know we've got ben davis but he is the giant enigma we don't know pretty much anything about him the only people who know what he's like are the people who've seen him at his previous clubs and it's in, in training like this, like obviously, Klopp has been holding him back for some reason. There was a small injury at the end of the season. It's it's such a mystery, and sometimes it's better the devil you know rather than just you know just going off and hoping and praying that we have an injury free season again. But who knows? But someone who is in the know is our friend of the show, Fabrizio Romano, uh, who has been giving us the scoop on the Saul to Barcelona, the swap deal for him and Antoine Griezmann. Uh, so Saul, uh, he's been linked to Liverpool in uh, in the past few weeks, months, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen now. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Antoine Griezmann uh, is, is going back to Atletico Madrid and... Sal is going the opposite way to Barcelona. Fabrizio Romano said Barca and, and uh, Atletico are in advanced talks to sw- in a swap deal between Sal and Griezmann. Both players have given the green light in the last few hours. Barca and Atleti uh, are negotiating on price tags. Barca wants money included. Liverpool and Chelsea are keen on Sal if a deal collapses. So that's pretty much put that to bed, hasn't it, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is over. I think Saul um, and Liverpool. Um, I don't know to be honest with you how interested we were in in Saul. Um, I do believe you know some interest was there. Uh, you wouldn't have the likes of Fabrizio Romano saying uh, stuff like that if it wasn't true. So you know, but I mean, all the reports at the minute and all the all the insiders are saying that Liverpool's priority is not midfield. Liverpool want to get a new forward in. And I think that's sort of where they're just not ready to compete with Barcelona, especially when someone like Griezmann is getting thrown into the mix. I mean, you know, Barcelona are coming with Griezmann, obviously, you know, has a good relationship with the Atletico fans, I would assume. Um, obviously, he's left for a rival, but that seems to be a bit more frequent in Spain than it is over there. Um, and what are we going to do in terms of a swap deal? Uh, obviously, swap deals are quite rare, so it might not be a direct swap deal, but what are we going to do off of Shaqiri or Origi? You know, they're offering Antoine Griezmann. It's a different different kettle of fish. We don't stand any chance. Like Fabrizio said there, if the deal falls apart, maybe Liverpool might do something about it. But even then, Chelsea are probably going to be ahead of us in the race um, for that because they're a bit more frivolous with their spending, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, Barcelona have got uh, issues with uh, finances at the moment in terms of they've got to get as many players off the books as possible, which is one of the reasons why Griezmann is, is out the door. Interesting to see that they were back in this boat where Atleti were absolutely fuming with Barca about how the Griezmann deal went went ahead in the first place. And now here we are a few years later and, you know, and it's like, oh, let's let's kiss and make up and, you know, let's have him back. Uh, Farrell, what do you what do you make of that? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a bizarre situation, um, especially uh, given Barcelona's debt. I mean, to say their finances are in, in a dire state, would I, I think still be putting things a bit mildly. 200 million euros in debt is you know, not a considerable figure to contend with. And then you think they've got to get rid of all that debt to then register four new signings, potentially five if this sole deal goes over the line. So it's, it's difficult to see the club being able to surmount that debt in the, in the near future. Um, yeah, so I, I think a bit, bit of a gut punch to hear about it, but then it's, as Steve was saying, you don't really know how close Liverpool were in the first place to, to this deal. So it's difficult um, yeah. to then consider that point. Yeah, th- so the local patch journalists, um, David Lynch specifically, uh, Steve, what, what, what's, what's he been saying? Yeah, so a report by David Lynch in the Liverpool Echo said that a link between the two clubs are nonsense, um, which, you know, I, I wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't be a big surprise if that was the line from the club. There's certainly been times in the past where the local journalists have, t- have rejected transfer rumours. You've got to look at uh, when Thiago uh, was coming to Liverpool, it was the likes of Fabrizio Romano and journalists in South America that were talking about it, whereas the local journalists were saying, no, he doesn't fit the profile. The club's, the club's saying it's not going ahead. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is the line from the club, but with the talk of you know Fabrizio Romano coming out and saying that Liverpool are actually interested, you know, I do think something was there. Yeah, it's it's a lot of smoke for there to have been no fire. Uh, I think is is what the the big takeaway from from this saga. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen unless you know there's a, a hail mary throw at the very end. But uh, something that does look like a possibility is Marco Grujic. Uh, going to Sassuolo. Sassuolo. I can't. Me butchering team names, player names, manager names, everyone's names is a common occurrence on this show. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, uh, that guy again, he's come out and said that uh, Liverpool have been asked for Marco Grujic as a, re- a potential new signing to replace uh, Locatelli, who's been uh, who's leaving the club this summer. So, I mean, I think. I was there in person for when Marco Grujic's Liverpool career peaked, which is a preseason friendly against Barcelona with that goal. And I don't think it's really gone anywhere ever since. He's made a few sort of cameo appearances sprinkled here and there within the seasons. And he's like, you know, played the odds uh, cup game. And then he's gone on loan here, there and everywhere. Uh, Steve, like it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a disappointment, right? Yeah, it's a shame because obviously Grijic is the first signing clock made at Liverpool. Um, and with the with the with what people were expecting of him, he came over quite a big reputation for the teenager. And um, obviously now he's he's at 25 years of age. You know, he's he spent his time at Liverpool. He's been out on loan at Cardiff, Hertha Berlin. And obviously his last loan at Porto was quite successful. Uh, so yeah, to, to see him linked with uh, Sassuolo in Italy is... Um, a bit of a surprise. Uh, I suppose not too much when you think that Locatelli is going to be leaving. There might not be many better targets that they could go for. The biggest shock for me is uh, is that there is talk of uh, Sassuolo actually placing a bid um, for Grujic. Usually, uh, Serie A clubs like to get players in on loan or they try and do like two-year loan deals with an option to buy and then they just get somebody else another cheap or someone from the academy will come through. But yeah, it, it will be disappointing uh, if Grujic does go. Uh, but I think it's been a couple of years now where it's looked like fairly obvious that he is going to move on from the club. And 
you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes on and becomes a success somewhere else, whether that be Sassuolo or in Portugal or Germany, wherever he ends up. Yeah, I, I, he, he gives me big sort of like Luis Alberto vibes in the fact like he, you know, Luis Alberto sort of left the club and then went on to sort of become this quite big figurehead uh, Lazio. Um, Farrell, I mean, like Klopp went to bat when he, when Grujic first joined the club. Um, I, if I remember right, he went in front of an FA panel uh, to try and get a work permit. It was, it, I, I, I might be completely butchering that. That that rings a bell. Um, but that's sort of like, after all of that, and then for it to just sort of, of him just becoming a squad player that's just gone out on loan, could it have gone any other way? Or was this just a, something that was destined to happen? Or like, you know, was he ever going to fit the bill? I think as Steve's already mentioned, he obviously came over to Liverpool very highly rated from Red Star Belgrade. Um, you do have to worry thereafter multiple loan spells when it will ever work out for the player. And you're looking at his age as well. It's just, it's it's looking very unlikely that um, despite having joined the pre-season training camp in Austria, that he can revitalise his Liverpool career at this late stage. Um, it's always a shame. It was a shame when Luis Alberto left. Obviously brilliant to see him make a success, success of himself elsewhere. But it's just one of those where too much time has passed you know, the player himself will be looking for first-team opportunities, and I don't think he's going to get that at Liverpool. It, with the Sassuolo links are certainly interesting. Um, good news, potentially, for Liverpool, given that Porto are also considered front-runners themselves for Garucha's signature. So hopefully that could potentially incite a, a bidding war, which would boost his price. Um, we do need to watch Porto's situation, though, because I think, I believe, they need to sell to buy themselves. So it'd be an yeah. interesting one to watch. Um, so someone who, someone else in the squad that has gone out on loan recently and come back and has been a very successful uh, loan by pretty much everyone's standards is Harvey Elliott. And he's obviously come back to the club. And he's been given this brand new five-year contract. Uh, it's just, he's one of those players that is hot stuff right now. Uh, and I, for one, Cannot get enough of the lad, even now, especially these, you know, lopped off that that awful Barnet. Uh, Steve, what do you think will be Harvey Elliott's role in the coming season? Do you think it'll be another loan? Do you think it's it's going to be like sticking in the team? You know, how how do you see this going forward? I think he's a cup player for Liverpool next season. I think he might get a couple of games in the Premier League if he, you know, shines in the cup, which I'm, I'm sure he will do. Because he'll hold up against Championship opposition, which obviously he shone against last season. So, with better players around, he can only do better than what he did last season, um, which is good enough to be playing for Liverpool in the domestic cups. Uh, now, obviously, it depends how long Liverpool stay in the cups. You know, if we're, if we're out of both the FA and League Cup by January, we could look to loan them out again, I think. But I think a lot of it might depend on what Zed Achikiri gets up to this summer. Um, he's a, you know, a left-footed right winger, same as Elliot. And out of the two of them, who would you rather bring off the bench at the minute? It's probably Shakiri. Um, so you've got to, you know, but Klopp is one of those uh, managers that likes to plan for the future. And he might just give Elliot a chance to prove himself ahead of Shakiri. Um, but 
yeah, I do, I do think Shakiri is going to dictate what might happen uh, this season for Harvey Elliott. But obviously, there are some uh, teams in Serie A that are looking at uh, Shakiri. So it's it's still unclear what's going to happen with him. So yeah, I, I do think he's going to have a big role to play in, in Elliott's uh, forthcoming season. Yeah, Shakiri is is definitely the player that you want to bring off the bench in terms of experience. Um, having that sort of raw potential and players not knowing like what to do with like you know as a sort of wild card option, Elliot you know might be someone to go to. He just absolutely tore it up last season at, at Blackburn, like watching some of the, some of those games and just not seeing how defenders just didn't know how to deal with him at times was you know phenomenal to watch. But Farrell, it just seems as though we could end up in a sticky situation where he just sort of we end up in, uh, we end up using him in the cup run, and then like we do seem to do every season, we get like two or three games in, and then we get a big top four club. Like you know, we don't we don't get a city like like load of uh, of fixtures where we're playing like you know bottom of the table opposition or league two opposition we always seem to like get to like the second round it's like arsenal spurs and those are the teams that just never like the cup run is their sort of like bread and butter because let's face it they're not going to end up at the top end of the table anytime soon if that happens again which you hope it doesn't but it could happen again that's definitely going to restrict the number of appearances that harvey's gonna gonna have uh, as well as battling Shakiri for like Steve's been saying, I think I, I wouldn't say I'm so much concerned. I think I'd agree that the vast majority of Elliot's appearances next term will most likely be in the cup competitions. Um, though I wouldn't be surprised either to see him get a, a few minutes in the league. To be honest, if I'm being completely honest, if you look at uh, Trent Alexander's uh, first sort of senior season, he only registered I think it was 12 appearances um, across all competitions. So it's not necessarily the end of the world, or you know, for him or for his sort of Liverpool career, if he only happen, happens to register, you know, a few appearances in the cups, a handful in the league. As long as he does sort of hit that sort of area of like over over 10, 12 sort of appearances across all competitions, I think we can still be sort of comfortably hopeful about his future at Liverpool. And I think he's certainly proven, as you say, off the back of that championship spell, that his level is beyond the championship. I think if we were even to consider him for a loan, I wouldn't even consider any loan offers from the Championship. It'd be from the Premier League or another top-flight league. I just, I, I also have worries about this last season. Uh, was supposed to be Curtis's big breakout season. It was billed as, you know, this is the season where Jones he gets all of his appearances. He's, he's sort of weighed, made his way into the squad. Let's see him, and it didn't really. I mean, he got quite a few, but it wasn't like what we all sort of expected would, would happen. Uh, it was far more cameo appearances here and there at the end of matches. And so I'm just, uh, again, I, I, I really, really rate the lad. He's, you know, one of those sparkling gems when it comes to youth football. Um, and I, I want to see him do well, but I just, I, this, this team has a reputation of, oh yeah, we, we you know, like, we, like you said, we bring in Trent at a young age. And, but as of late, there hasn't really been, as, as, the, as the squad has been more and more successful, there's been less and less opportunities for those youth players to, to, to break in. 
fingers crossed that doesn't happen this season. You know, let's hope that there's a little bit more rotation, especially after the last season where we've had the fixture schedules being pretty compact. Having more rotation is probably a good thing. Klopp doesn't like to do that. So it, it, it's so up in the air. But what's also up in the air is, you know, Liverpool's transfers going forward. And I know I've, I've used him as a source several times already on the show, but uh, Fabrizio Romano has come out and said that uh, he's pretty much in the dark when it comes to uh, transfers with Liverpool, when it comes to Liverpool. Uh, he's, he's come out and said, expect them to make some surprises. If you asked me last summer in June or July whether Liverpool would sign Diogo Jota, I would never have said that it was a done deal or close. I like this style because it's difficult for journalists, but it's great for the club and for the strategy. I expect something surprising also this summer from Liverpool. So he's pretty much saying like, lads, I, I don't know what's happening. Like I'm just completely in the dark here, but expect something big. So now that we've gone through Saul and, you know, Tillemans seems like it's not happening. And like, what do you think that something big could be, Steve? I mean, first, I think Fabrizio's comments is more to the fact that he doesn't get information from Liverpool. Uh, I think he probably still gets information on Liverpool players and players linked with Liverpool through other sources. Obviously, if uh, Sassuolo speak to him and say, oh, we're thinking of going for Marco Grujic, he knows that they're interested in Grujic, but obviously he's not going to get that information from Liverpool. Um, Secondly, yeah, I mean, if, if Fabrizio hasn't got a clue, I mean, Christ, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to guess who, uh, who Liverpool are going to be going for. It could be anybody. It could be uh, Antoine Griezmann. You never know. But oh, um, it was me thinking you would be the scoop. <laughs> no, I've got I've got no surprises. Um, just like Fab. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could be anybody. You know, your dream of of a signing like Fabinho. Obviously, he came out of nowhere as well. There was talk of United going for him, and then within about 48 hours, he's a Liverpool player. So anything could be happening at the minute. I mean, look, you know, Haaland is being linked to Chelsea. Maybe maybe in 48 hours, he's uh, doing a lean at the accident centre. You never know, do you? I honestly, I don't know which way it's going to go. The club's very quiet on these things. Um, the most prominent journalists don't know too much from the club side. Um, yeah, you, you, make, a, you yeah. make a good point there about the, the club the, the club journalists, um, you know, the local patch not knowing anything. I mean, these days, they've become increasingly um, under pressure from fans on Twitter and stuff like that, uh, asking, like, you know, what, what good are you? If you're not, if you were, like, they were traditionally the reliable sources of information when it came to club ins and outs. And then all of a sudden, it's just been like, well, this lad in Turkmenistan says, and oh wait, no, this this has happened now. You know, just like it, it, their importance has diminished over the years as as the club have become more and more tight knit. Do you see this strategy, which seems to be paying off for them, Farrell? Do Do you think this this strategy will become more of a widespread thing? Do you think the the world of transfer rumours and speculation is going to go away. Are we going to be out of a job? Pretty much. <laughs> like the, the, the longer this goes on and the more clubs go, they're actually like, you know, getting away with quite a lot of shady, like, you know, deals that appear from nowhere. 
and that's working for them, do you think more clubs will adopt this strategy? Is what I'm saying. Very Fort Knox over at Liverpool now. Um, <laughs> yeah, as, as as you've both uh, mentioned, it's certainly made our jobs a bit harder. But then it's kind of you, you want the club to be in a position where they're able to conduct their transfer business securely. You know, you don't want this sort of situation where United go, oh, we'd like this player, then we, we jump in 48 hours. Obviously, that worked very well for us. Didn't work well uh, work out so well for United. In terms of it spreading beyond Liverpool's borders, I think that will become an increasing reality for like the, the top, top the European heavyweights over time. Obviously, Liverpool have the benefit of being a, a very efficiently well-run organisation from top to bottom. And a lot of that is courtesy of, of our owners and of the key men implemented throughout the organisation. So it will be an eventuality that, we'll, uh, that we will start to realise throughout Europe in due course. Um, but I think, as, as Steer certainly pointed to, I think there'll, there'll always going to be a few clubs where they will be perhaps a bit looser uh, with their tongues, so to speak. Mm. I mean, we've used Man United as an example, so I'll, I'll keep using them as an example. Uh, the, the whole Sancho saga and how that seems to have gone on for a good, what, two years at this point? Three like it just it just seems like it's th- this ever going i mean they've they've agreed terms but he's still not technically a, a man united player if that was liverpool and the way liverpool would would dealing with things i don't think i could cope having that sort of like constant like oh it's this rumor again on saying that i'm a massive hypocrite because you know i want mbappe 2022 to happen so you know like that's the deal that's just not going to happen but it's, it just keeps rearing its head and i'm going to keep on fighting for it as as long as it's a, it's a possibility um but see do you do you prefer these kind of like oh okay i guess we we signed this player now got to got to go research him and like you know watch all the youtube compilations or do you prefer these like long drawn out transfers I think I think there's two ways to look at these kinds of uh, rumors that go around. Obviously, you've got even the likes of Syndicast when we were going after him. It was it was some fellow in Greece coming forward and saying, "Oh, <clears throat> Olympiacos have confirmed to me that you know Liverpool are interested in Syndicast." And um, I, I think there's room for both of those kinds of things, um, especially with like the I, I don't want to be patronising to the likes of Olympiacos and Sassuolo we've mentioned but I feel like these clubs might benefit from being from these headlines you know like oh you know especially in uh, Sassuolo's position that they're looking at a Liverpool player it might just say to their fans look we're being ambitious you know what I mean it's it's a way of like speaking to their fans we're losing Locatelli but we're looking at a Liverpool player all right it's great but it's still a Liverpool player nonetheless and I, th- I think there is room for both types of rumours. I think the local journalists, like we mentioned before, that they've become less about the uh, flimsy rumours um, and they focus more on the concrete stuff. So like uh, a few years ago, obviously you'd look at the news and then you'd go, okay, right, now I'll wait for the BBC or I'll wait for The Guardian or I'll wait for Sky Sports to come out and say that. And I think those local journalists are now becoming that because the rumours never feel solid, even if it's the likes of Fabrizio Romano and Christian Falk that's saying it. It never seems solid. But then all at the same time, when you get James Pierce and you get Mel Reddy and Neil Jones, they all at the same time go, 
Liverpool have made a bit for Thiago, you can sit there and go, right, it's happened now. It, it is actually real. And I think that's sort of the room, the two types of uh, of, of rumours that go around. And I think, I think there is actually a place for both of those. And I do enjoy them both. Obviously, it's frustrating when you find out someone has purely lied, you know, about a transfer rumour. Um, none come to mind at the minute, but, you know, there's definitely some out there where Liverpool have been linked with X, Y, or Z. Uh, I think I remember quite a few years ago, there was rumours about Frank Ribery, which was completely fabricated. But that got me excited for no reason. You know, those are frustrating, but I think there's room for both. You didn't get a shirt with his name on the back, right? <laughs> you didn't get Ribery in a, in a red shirt. Thankfully not, no. <laughs> those are all my, always my favourite, like, people on Twitter when they, uh, you know, post photos of like, they've gone to the game and there's someone wearing a Ribery shirt, like a Liverpool Ribery shirt. Like, oh, I'm a big fan of, of Liverpool, but I'm also a big fan of Ribery. So I just combine the two. No, that's not, that's not how this works. Just why? But Farrell, what's your preference on the whole situation? I think it's sort of a similar position to Steve, really. I, I sort of, I, I sit quite neatly within both camps. You know, I, I like I like a long drawn sort of transfer room. You know, even even though we're sort of fully aware that the, the likelihood is that Kylian Mbappe will never be a Liverpool player. You know, there's always the the, the what if, the possibility. You know, and until that, as you say, is until it is completely ruled out, there's there's always going to be that sort of discussion around it. But then, you know, it, it, it's it's nice also, as we were saying, to see the club move out of nowhere and bring in these kind of players like the, you know the Jotters, your Fabinho's of the world. Um, just completely out of nowhere without any sort of hint of speculation. Um, in terms of our role sort of as, as journalists, I think there's always there's always going to be room for discussing those rumours. There's always going to be room for talking with, you know, sources from clubs and that sort of thing. But I could also see a lot of it sort of moving towards more sort of statistics-based journalism. There was um, a gent at The Athletic who's name I'm completely spacing out on, who predict, well, not predicted, but sort of w- was discussing sort of potential Liverpool targets a, a year ago. And I think, I think Diogo Jota and uh, Simakaz were two of the names that popped up out of a handful of potential options. Mm. So it will be more sort of moving towards, you know, still considering sources, still considering what sort of you hear through the feedback loop, but also sort of going, okay, this is the style of player, the side, this is the manager, you know, what kind of players fit within that sort of system. And it would move more towards sort of a deep dive into what, 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 what players best fit within that system. Mm. Uh, Sam Maguire, who's a, a friend of the show, he, he also does a lot of those analytical um, like, sort of these players would fit in this, in this style. And this is, if you're going to get a replacement for this player, it's probably best to get one of these. Um, but, you know, that's... I think that is definitely the way that the, the world of sports is going analytical. I think you, you make a great point there that that's probably the, the, the route that most journalists are going to like basically taking what you've both said that, that being that stamp of approval of, okay, this is definitely happening. And also the club might not be considering this, but you know, if they are, then these are the players that would be on their radar I think that's the route that you know sports journalists will be going down because let's face it, unless they get, you know, their friends with an agent or they know a player's brother, 
you know, it's it, that, that's just the, the, we're not going to get the scoops like we used to, which is unfortunate. But when there's that much money on the line these days, you can't really be affording to, to let secrets slip. But I think that's all we got time for today. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for joining us on yeah, another riveting Red Nets. Thank you for listening. To, thanks to Steve and Farrell for joining me. And we'll see you next week. Bye for now.